Hey guys, it's Dawn. If you would like to hear the How My Parents Raised Me podcast ad-free, and if you would like access to subscriber-only episodes, join me in the What's the Truth community. You can join via the Apple Podcast app. There's a link right there in the app. Or go to whatsthetruth.supercast.com. Links are in the show notes. Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I think because the crime was so sensationalized, the crime was so big. I mean, we grew up in an upper middle class suburb. I mean, this type of crime was completely unheard of. And I think my family just wanted to move on as quickly as possible. Our family name was out there. It was a really, really difficult time for for all of us. And because generational trauma runs deep in our family. I think the crime just exacerbated that as much as possible. They weren't able to move on in a healthy capacity. It was really, can you keep your head down and just move forward as quickly as possible? Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me. I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls and the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives and what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives and that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you you What makes you the absolutely unique human that you are? Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story. What happened to them? How they got through? 
and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. Hello, my beautiful friends, and welcome to season seven of the How My Parents Raised Me podcast. How are you? I really hope that you're ready for a new year of finding out how you can live your life in freedom and connection and love. A year of taking steps every day to remember who you are. A year for understanding more about what happened to you and how much it has affected everything in your life and how you can use that to empower yourself to live a better life. A year of seeing yourself through the eyes of love instead of hate, of understanding instead of guilt and shame. I am so excited to be back because we have some of the most incredible humans ready to share their stories with you and help you to gain a stronger and stronger understanding of what happened to you and how you can turn that around to live your most incredible life. You know, I started this podcast in lockdown in 2020 and I literally had no idea what I was doing. Maybe, maybe I still don't, (laughs) but I heard some advice when I was starting out. And it said this, it said, take a messy step forward. Do it messy. Don't try and create something perfect. Just take a step. And that's exactly what I did. I took a step and I signed up to a podcast hosting site. And then I took another step and I bought a microphone. And then I took a step and I tried recording something. And if you go all the way back to September 2020, of the podcast, you're going to find my first episodes and you will love them because the women who stepped forward to share their stories with me at that time when I was starting out were absolutely incredible. And I will forever be grateful to each and every one of them. But gosh, I had no real idea of what I was doing. And I hated the sound of my own voice. I actually couldn't bear it. And I found it so hard to edit myself and to listen to myself over and over. And the sound on some of those early episodes is terrible. And there's so much that's not perfect. But I just kept going. I just kept learning. And I just kept putting out another episode and another one. And here at the start of season seven now, not only do I know how to write and create and produce a podcast, but the wisdom from all 211 episodes has changed my life completely. It's changed me as a person completely because the things that people have shared, their deeply traumatic stories and their ways of coping and getting through and living their best lives not just surviving, but thriving. And the beauty of every single one of their desire to change that for us has been life-changing. And that's what healing is. It's exactly the same as how I started my podcast. It's taking messy steps forward. It's taking one messy step and then another and just stepping along the path. Because nothing will change if you don't take a step. 
and everything will change as you take those steps. It might take many steps to really start feeling the changes, but you won't start feeling the changes until you take the steps. And it can be as messy as you like. What I did know back in 2020 was that my life had not gone the way I really wanted it to in so many ways. Like I had all the things. I had an amazing partner. I had two amazing kids. But also I felt completely and utterly fried. Like I was absolutely done just trying to live in the world as myself. I'd spent decades burying the past and putting on a smile and pretending to be this happy, fun party girl. I'd spent decades looking to the outside for validation and acceptance, decades burying the shame and guilt and trying to get through the triggers, decades hanging out with people who didn't value me and only saw my value if I was prepared to be and think just like them. You know, I'd been chronically unwell for years. I had no idea that all of that unwellness was coming from my mind, from my unconscious beliefs, my trauma. I had depression and I vividly remember sitting at my desk literally sobbing with no real understanding of why that was happening. What I could do to get over it. Like, why am I so depressed when I seemingly have all the things? I have a great life. Why can't I just be happy? And I began to realize that I was not the only one. Like there were literally thousands of women and men just like me, millions probably, who were trained from a young age to bury the big emotions, to get a grip, stop being a selfish whiner and put a smile on and keep going, right? That's what we're told to do. But then I thought, well, that's not real. That's not the truth. I want to hear the truth. I want to hear what's actually going on for people. What's going on in people's lives? What is your truth? What has actually happened? Because controversial statement here, I think most people are in some ways just trying to survive, just trying to fit, just trying to be good enough, feel like they're good enough. You know, like we have this entire world of perfect influences now with perfect lives showing us how to be perfect, but none of that is real. What's real is why can't you get to sleep at night? Like, why do you walk into a room full of people and feel like you want to die? Why do you need someone else to tell you how to think and how to feel? Why Have you never put yourself first or told anyone your real true story? Why are you so depressed and lost and lonely and disconnected and drowning in self-hate? And that's what we're doing on this podcast. We're here to learn how to do better, how to feel better, how to think better, how to understand who we are and why and how we can use all of that as our superpower Because your trauma can be your superpower to live your most beautiful and empowered life on your own terms. I'm here every week for you. I want us to learn together. I want us to grow together. I want you to know that you are loved. 
I love you because it doesn't matter who you are or what has happened to you in your life. You deserve love. And I hope you can feel that. I hope you can feel the love here every week and the acceptance and the empowerment and the light and the friendship. And you know what? If you want to really see how much you grow this year, grab a piece of paper and write down right now, what do you believe about yourself? Write down 10 things about yourself that you believe to be true and see how different that looks at the end of 2024. Because it is only you who can change it. It's only you who can take what you hear on this podcast, what you learn and do things differently. Allow what you learn to change how you do your life, how you think and what you believe. And if you are looking for inspiration on how to move on from a toxic childhood, my first guest for 2024 is a truly incredible young woman. Her name is Melissa and she has a really big, important story to share with you. Melissa has suffered multiple deep traumas over the course of her lifetime that have left her with complex trauma, CPTSD. I noticed Melissa's account on Instagram and I remember thinking, this girl looks amazing, I want to hear more. And then she agreed to tell her story and I really had no idea that what she would reveal would be so immense. Melissa's story begins with two parents at each other's throats. The environment is chaotic and unsafe Her mother is physically abusive to her as a tiny child. And when Melissa was just three and a half years old, and I need to put a trigger warning in place here, her father murdered her mother. So by the age of three, Melissa was already highly traumatized. She had lost both her parents and her home, and she was living through a highly sensationalized murder trial. And that is just the beginning. You will hear about Melissa's life after the trial as she moved in with her new family. This was her dad's brother who took her into his family. And there she was subjected to years of shame and humiliation. There was abuse, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual. And everything about this story is heartbreaking. You're going to hear about a breakdown that lasted for years. But what you will also hear about is Melissa's decision to heal. Her decision to take control of her life back. And I know that Melissa tells her story for the purpose of helping you on your journey. Melissa has a strong desire to help other survivors. She speaks of sitting in her beanbag over many, many months, listening to this podcast, among others, and how much it helped her and she wants to give back. She wants you to know that if she can heal, you can heal too. Melissa and I sat together for a long time as I heard her story. And so I'm going to be breaking this episode into two parts. And you need to hear all of this. Please join me now for part one 
of Melissa's story. Melissa, welcome to the podcast. I know this is like a full circle moment for you because you've mentioned that you discovered this podcast at a pivotal moment in your life and how somebody else's story in that moment helped you to take a leap in your understanding of your own life. And now you are here to share your story so that others might also be helped in this way. This is not a story of just one trauma. This is multiple major traumas. And I just wanted to say that I feel truly honoured to share your story today because I know it has not been shared publicly before. You grew up in Chicago in what you describe as an unstable and violent home. What is your very first memory of abuse in your home? Gosh, my my earliest years were were spent with my parents. My dad was a pilot from the Midwest. My mom was a nurse from the Philippines. And they were completely incompatible with each other. They had conflicting values and priorities. And I just grew up in an incredibly chaotic environment. I think both of my parents had unhealed generational traumas of their own and had difficulties balancing life, career, and family. Because my dad was a pilot, he would travel for days at a time and my mom would get overwhelmed taking care of a baby by herself. And sadly, she was my first abuser. My first memory gosh, started around two, three years old when my mom was feeding me in the kitchen. She flew into a rage. And while I was strapped into a high chair, she started beating me with a butcher knife. And unfortunately, this was a common occurrence in our household and happened with multiple objects like a cast iron skillet. When my dad was home, my mom targeted both of us. And if I'm honest, we formed a really tight bond because of it. He was my best friend and the person that I looked up to the most. It was really difficult to reconcile having two different parents, one that I really loved and admired, who was gone frequently, and my mom, who was quite abusive, but I would spend the most amount of time with her. It was really, really difficult. She was very abusive, and my dad tried to document the abuse and requested restraining orders. But sadly, in the 90s, it wasn't taken seriously. No one thought that a mother could be the primary perpetrator in her family. It was just simply unfathomable at that time in the Midwest. But by the time I was three, my parents continued to just devolve into a bitter, heated divorce. Their fighting was so bad that the only memories that I have together of the three of us were their frequent violent fights where I would physically put my little body in between there so they would stop. But both of them refused to get help or leave our family home. And it was like I was just used as a way to hurt the other person. Their main goal truly was to make sure the other one suffered and didn't win. Nothing, nothing mattered more to my parents than ruining each other's lives. And I, of course, was caught in the crosshairs. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you're only, like you say, two or three years old, and yet you have these very vivid memories of it. So it just shows how traumatic it must have been for your tiny little body, your tiny little brain at that time. Your dad, as you said, was a pilot. What do you remember about your dad? What was your relationship like? My dad, I loved my dad. He was a pilot and would take me up flying with him. I was his co-pilot. We had the same initials. I was his little shadow. 
But of course, he was also at fault, right? It takes two to tango in that type of situation. So I remember more good memories with my dad than I do with my mom. But sadly, when they were together, it was very unpredictable. And I, I didn't have a safe place to go to. Of course, my dad being on the road meant that even though we were friends, we were buddies, he would leave me alone with her and he didn't do anything to protect me or to help that situation. And that has been a really difficult, really difficult kind of pill to swallow that he could have done so much more for me. Yeah. Like you say, it's almost like back then at least, and and still now, I mean, mothers are the the ones that give us the love and care. And so even when they're not doing that, it's kind of minimized, isn't it? It's like, oh, well, it's still your mother. You still love her, you know, and, and I suppose, like you say, back then reaching out and getting proper help, it just wasn't really available. It wasn't a thing back then. Like, thank heavens, we now have more resources available But my mom was living in Chicago. She didn't have any of her own support system. Only my dad's family was around and they were completely dysfunctional, if I'm honest. And she was by herself, completely overwhelmed. And I imagine that, again, her unhealed generational trauma and some mental illness played a part in her flying off the handle and not being able to take care of me or at least navigate a really difficult situation in a more healthy capacity. Yeah, absolutely. And so you mentioned then that your parents finally went through a divorce. Mm -hmm. What do you remember from around that time of them splitting up? Did one of your parents move out? What, What was the situation? Gosh, it was, it went from pure chaos to even more chaos. I I don't even know how to (laughs) describe that. But both of my parents, again, they didn't want the other one to win. They both took on different partners, but they lived in the same household. And I would just be exposed to completely different families and manipulation and each one of them trying to get me to join their new family. And it was very confusing when I had just witnessed a lot of violence between my my parents, and now we're bringing in two completely new people. And the swirl of that all in my mind was so confusing. I, I didn't know what was home, what was safe, what, you know, what was normal. And it was it was very, very confusing. But I will say at that time, my my dad's parents lived nearby and I would spend a lot of time there. And that was my, my safety net when they were going through their divorce. So thank heavens that I had some level of stability, but for the most part, that divorce was really, really awful. Yeah. And so you said that your parents and their new partners were all living in the same house. Is that right? My parents still lived at the house and would sometimes bring their partners over. So it was very confusing as to what was happening throughout my childhood. Yeah. And so what sort of things were you exposed to in that environment with those other partners? Gosh, some really difficult, really difficult memories. I was exposed to intimacies that I should never have seen. 
I was basically moved into another family unit. My dad had uh, a girlfriend who had her own sons. And it was like we had completely moved into that particular family unit. My mom, on the other hand, she had a new boyfriend and we would join them sometimes. And it was it was really just so confusing because I would see not only these intimate moments, but I would see these, I would see these interactions with them where they're obviously with their new partner, but at home, why are we all here together? And I just, I could not understand as a child why all of this was happening. And so your parents' fights were getting completely out of control by this time. Completely out of control. The the police would be at our door multiple times. I just remember being in these fights where I'm trying to like get my parents to stop and the police would come in our cul-de-sac and I would see the blue and red lights and I'd be like, oh, thank heavens. Like, oh, I, I don't need, I don't need to, you know, be the one to kind of stop this help is on the way. But you're right, there was a night where it completely escalated to the point of no return. And it's a really difficult night for me where my dad murdered and dismembered my mom. And it's a really complicated case. The investigation was mishandled. The trial was even more confusing. And I've come to the realization that I'll never know the full truth of of what happened that night, just what I have memories of. My mom's side insists that my mom's murder was premeditated. My dad's side of the family claims that it was an accident. I just know that I lost both my parents that day and my life was truly changed forever. I had no idea what the future had in store for me. And it was so difficult on my entire family. This crime is the thing that shattered my entire bloodline. And I was at the center of it all. And what age are you at this point? I was three and a half, three and a half. Three and a half. Oh my goodness. And so you actually witnessed what happened that night. Is that right? I I believe I witnessed that crime. Yes. I have memories of that, that I have had to work through my whole life. Same consistent memory of it that I replayed over and over and over again. I do believe that my dad's family discounted that in order to protect my dad, sadly. Yeah. And so what is it like for a child that's witnessed something like that? Because you're you're three and a half. So I'm assuming people just think at three and a half, well, even if you've seen something, it's not going to have an impact. You won't won't remember it. Yeah. Yeah. I really think that was the approach that my my family took. She's so little, she's not going to remember anything. And sadly, I think I was primed to remember a lot because of all of the violence that I had witnessed before. There are specific memories that just stick out to me. And I've just replayed them in my mind over and over and over again. And I've had to do a lot of work to process them and really make sure that they're not 
terrorizing me anymore. But, you know, when I was three and a half, I don't think anyone really took it seriously. You know, kids, kids say the darndest things sometimes, but in my case, I was sharing bits and pieces of what I had been through and it just wasn't taken seriously. Yeah. And so your parents have had this terrible fight. Your dad, who you adore, has has murdered your mother. Mm-hmm. What happens to you? What happens to you the next day? Where are you? What's happening? Yeah, I got dropped off at my grandparents' house, I believe in the middle of the night. And I remember waking up in my bedroom over there because that's how much I how much time I spent over there. And my grandmother telling me that my mom had passed. And the one thing that sticks out to me is me retorting back to her, good, she can't hurt me anymore. Probably not a normal reaction for a three-year-old who just found out that her mother was murdered. But I think that just goes to show the level of dysfunction that was happening in that household. And even if I can't remember every single fight or every single thing that happened, there are so many memories that I have already that I was just so grateful that she was removed from my life. Yeah. And really grateful. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And so does anybody ask you, are you okay? What happened? Like, does anybody want to hear if you're okay? Or do they just pretend everything's okay and you just get on with your life? My family definitely loved to pretend. They love to sweep things under the rug. And that's uh, a theme throughout my life when I've gone to different families. Because of the trial and the investigation, I was interviewed by a child psychologist. And she had mentioned that I had I had witnessed many violent fights between my parents and that my dad and I were the closest and my mom was my my primary perpetrator. But unfortunately, after that, it really wasn't talked about in our house. I think because the crime was so sensationalized, the crime was so big. I mean, we grew up in an upper middle class suburb. I mean, this type of crime was completely unheard of. And I think my family just wanted to move on as quickly as possible. Our family name was out there. It was a really, really difficult time for for all of us. And because 
generational trauma runs deep in our family. I think the crime just exacerbated that as much as possible. They weren't able to move on in a healthy capacity. It was really, can you keep your head down and just move forward as quickly as possible? Yeah. As you say, it was a big story in the media. It must have been, you know, it's a murder trial and it's it's in the in the press. And as a, a little child, were you protected from what was going on or how how much were you aware of, of what was happening? My family tried to protect me as much as as much as they could, but again, the case was highly highly sensationalized. None of us could escape it. And at times the media wanted to get exclusives um, for me specifically because I was at the center of this crime and I would get stalked frequently at the grocery store in my grandparents' backyard. It was absolutely terrifying. I had no safe space to go to. I just remember being terrified and if we saw that you know someone with a camera was coming that we would immediately try to leave as best we could it was all over the news it was in newspapers so my family did the best that they could but i did see some details emerge but a lot of the the meat and potatoes a lot of the the true details of the case i didn't learn until i was 18 up until that point, my family had said it was the only thing that they could agree upon was let's try and protect Melissa from the really awful details. But I didn't need anyone to do that because I believe I witnessed that and I had replayed that. But when I was 18, I was given some of the court documents to review and it was it was wildly illuminating and just validated a lot of the things that I had experienced firsthand. Do you mean that when you read the documents, it backed up what you remembered, what your memories were? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A part of my healing journey has been reviewing those types of documents and making sure that my memories are being validated, that I can trust myself. There was so much propaganda from all sides of my family. If I was with my mom's family, it was always about their angel. If it was with my dad's family, it was all about, it was an accident. Like she prompted him to do this. And it was very, very confusing. I would hear so many stories because they wanted me to take a certain side. And I just was getting shuffled around between all of it. And it was so confusing to me, what was the truth and what were, what were my family lies? And that has been something that's really important to me to be able to validate that so I can move forward so I can process those memories and, you know, continue on with, with life. Yeah. So your world has basically disintegrated, even though it was, I mean, you, you've started life in this terribly damaging, toxic environment, and then it's basically fallen apart. You've lost both of your parents. What ultimately mm-hmm. happened to your dad? Oh, gosh. My dad, my dad was found guilty of first-degree murder and concealing homicide, 
And again, he was the person that I was closest to. And he was now completely gone from my life. And I had to face a new reality without any parents. I was living with my grandparents at that time. And I remember right before sentencing, my grandmother pulling me aside and preparing me for the possibility, the real possibility that my dad may get the death penalty. And I didn't know if it was goodbye for now or goodbye forever. And I developed what I now know to be severe anxiety, but I just felt obligated to hide it from everyone. I felt like I had to be the strongest person because our entire family was at war and I was the common denominator. The weight of that was just devastating on me as a four-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old by the time that the trial had, had come to an end. It was excruciating. Yeah. And so what happened to your dad? Did he get sentenced to life? He is serving, gosh, he is serving a very long sentence, not necessarily life. He is up for parole in the next couple of years. And that is something that is something that I'll have to navigate then. But yes, he he was sentenced for quite a long time. And it's basically a life sentence given his age. He'll be 75 by the time that he's eligible. And what's been the relationship to your dad over the years? Have you kept in contact? It's complicated. It's really complicated. I didn't get in touch with my dad until my early 20s. And I was so curious to know where I came from, who my parents were, what was life like before this chapter. It was really important for me to know my family history because I didn't have a single person who could give me an unbiased viewpoint of that. And I've been in touch with my dad a couple of times. Sadly, he's just really out of touch with reality. I think going through a crime, committing a crime of this magnitude will do something, you know, to you. Plus spending three decades in maximum and medium security prisons is not a conducive healing environment. And every time I have approached him, the only thing that matters to him is winning his appeal and is not able to take accountability for how his actions have impacted my life. No matter what, if it was premeditated or if it was an accident, that doesn't change the life sentence that I've had to serve. All of the wrongs that I've had to write, all of you know, the things that I've just had to navigate all by myself in. And that is really difficult to have a relationship with someone who can't see beyond their own reality. And he's just, he's just really out of touch, sadly. Yeah. That's such a lost opportunity, isn't it? Because even if it you is. could have had that one connection left, it, it would have been so important, wouldn't it? You lost everything. I know that you were staying then with your grandparents and that was a sounds like a beautiful environment but that wasn't where you ended up your dad's younger brother was awarded guardianship of you 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 arrived in a new home and I I know you thought initially that that they looked like the perfect family so what was it like at first when you first arrived at this new home gosh it was 
it was a difficult integration process. I was used to different family dynamics. I was living with my grandparents where they encouraged me to be a kid. They encouraged me to be messy and to have fun and to explore. And it was the complete opposite of that with my new family. It was so hard to go from the freedoms and the unconditional love for my grandparents to the complete opposite environment. A lot of this time was also, there was a lot of feuding and bad blood between my dad's side. And during this integration process, two camps formed, my dad and my grandparents, and then my new parents, my aunt and uncle. And my dad and grandparents envisioned a path forward for all of us where they could still be actively a part of my life. But really the trauma had taken its toll and our family was just completely shattered by it. Again, the infighting was so bad that I lost touch with my dad and my grandparents. It just escalated to the point where I had no contact with any of my trusted people. And I, I felt so alone. I constantly felt like an outsider because my mere existence reminded everyone of what had happened. I truly represented the worst in our family. And it was my parents' mission to teach me character building and remove any trace of my previous family. They had opposing expectations of what a good daughter was, and they just made it clear that I didn't meet those standards. It was really difficult. My family had a new set of rules and players that I needed to adapt to immediately. My aunt was really the one who established the family hierarchy and rules, and she just demanded complete control over us. We were expected to be obedient, submissive, perfect. No one could know the family secret. Just like before, our family just wanted to sweep things under the rug and, and move forward. No one could truly know where I came from. Honestly, the most important thing that our new family had was maintaining that external perception. It was better to look like we were a perfect family than it was to actually be a healthy, loving family. And it was hard. It was a really, really hard time getting integrated into that household. Yeah. I will say that my new parents met my basic needs. They went through the motions of raising me as their own, but our relationship felt completely transactional. There was no genuine connection, vulnerability, love, or empathy in our house. Instead, it was, it was just a performance. I had to be the most obedient, compliant daughter to win favor and acceptance. Sometimes I succeeded, but those wins were short-lived. Most of the time, I was just convinced something was seriously wrong with me. Why can't I be a part of this family? There must be something wrong. And I just, I hated myself for not being good enough for my new family. It really took a toll on me. Yeah, my goodness. I mean, after everything you've been through, all you needed was a family that took you in and put you under their wing and and cared for you. You know, that's all you needed. And it's almost like you got the opposite to that. Can you tell us about your main caregiver, your aunt? What was your relationship like with her? It was very transactional. I don't know how else to describe it other than very cold. I had a purpose. I served my family. I did a number of things to just try and gain acceptance, but it was, it was like, it was never enough. It was never enough. And 
we had different personalities and my aunt wanted full control over the family. And unfortunately, I got singled out. And as I got older and I gained more independence, that abuse from my aunts just continued to grow and grow. Our family dysfunction was so normalized that nobody thought her escalating abuse was abnormal. It was like the seeds were planted years before and it was the next chapter of, you know, what happened. It was really hard to stand by and watch it. My uncle was just grateful that he wasn't on the receiving end and he turned a blind eye. He just was so hands-off. He enabled her and I, I felt powerless as our entire family dynamic began to shift into a them versus me type of relationship where I was always the outsider and it was me coming into this family unit and I had to prove myself. I had to earn my keep and, and prove my worth all the time, yeah. but it was hard. Yeah. And so what sort of abuses, and I know that you were humiliated and abused in that relationship. Can you tell us the sort of things that she was perpetrating on you? Yeah, I was not recognized as a primary member of our family. I had to earn my keep. And that was me being treated as a servant under the guise of character building. It was used as a way to keep me subservient. And my parents loved to use humiliation, shame, and violence. It was really difficult. At home, I had to earn the right to exist. I was forced to serve my family and do hard labor. If I didn't clean properly, I'd have to clean and clean again. If I didn't do it correctly, my aunt would scream in my ears until I blacked out. Sometimes I'd get thrown down the stairs. Other times I'd get locked in a basement until I had to earn my way out. But everywhere else, on the outside of our home, I'd have to present as everything were perfect. Like nobody could know what our real family was like. Nobody could know how defective I was or how much pain I was in because I was told that I earned it. One time I lost my family dining privileges and was forced to eat like a dog. My uncle tied my hands behind my back and made me eat a bowl of Mongolian beef. He said I was too disgusting to watch me eat like that. And he put me in a pitch black laundry room and told me not to make a sound. These types of humiliation tactics were ones to keep me as low as possible. It was excruciating. It was excruciating. Sometimes I'd get locked out of my house in a freezing Midwest winter. It would be so cold that my neighbors would invite me into their homes concerned for my safety. But I always knew that if I didn't do the initial punishment, it would be way worse if I didn't suffer those consequences. So a lot of shame, humiliation, there was also physical, emotional, social, mental, and spiritual abuse. It made me question my reality, my character, my will to live. And as I got older and gained more independence, it just kept getting worse. By the time I was in high school, it was completely out of control. The less that I reacted to her abuse, the more brazen she would become. She needed that reaction. She wanted the opportunity to remind me that I was a burden 
on the family. And I was lucky that they took me in. I protected myself from the abuse by retreating deep within. I stopped feeling my feelings and I just, I refused to break in front of them. That's truly all I had. And I would not give them that satisfaction. I would get beaten and I would do it with a smile on my face. I would say, hit me harder, hit me harder. And then I would sleep under my mattress because I was absolutely terrified. I would try and hide my little body under there to just give me a little bit of protection at home. And I would dream that one day I would amount to something. One day I might be enough. One day maybe I'll have a family. And it just never happened. It never happened. We would have regularly scheduled family meetings. And that is some of the most excruciating memories that I have. Everyone was summoned to the living room. Each family member would sit in their respective spots on the couch based on the family hierarchy. And I would have to sit on the floor, especially when I was the subject of those family council meetings. My entire family would go around in a circle and air their grievances while I could say nothing. I would hear messages like, you're not the daughter we expected. You're bringing the family average down. And as my aunt and uncle's marriage began to crumble, the entire family reminded me that I was the source of their problems. Look at how much we've given up for you. Look at how much your sister has had to give up her parents for you. You did this to us. And I was just, I was paralyzed. I couldn't tell anyone. I just, I had to take it. And I internalized that every single dysfunctional thing in our family was my fault entirely. It was a weight that was so heavy, I nearly didn't make it. It was, it was a lot. That shame, that toxic shame has just been really difficult to release. It's not mine to carry anymore. Yeah, my goodness. I mean, it's just the most, I mean, I just look at people like that. It's just so... They're not really human, are they? I mean, it's just such disgusting behavior. It's so entrenched. It's almost like they were punishing you for being the 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 daughter of the people that you're you're just a symbol of all of that and they can't they couldn't get past it, you know? It was just Yeah. It was very and- complicated. My dad and his brother didn't always have the best relationship. There was a lot of competition there. And I think there were a lot of unhealed generational wounds that just got completely blown wide open. And no one was capable of navigating this type of situation. And instead, all of those unhealed wounds just came back to me. I was the one who bore the brunt of it. And it was really, really painful. I've had to do so much work to get beyond the mindset that I'm just a servant, that I am a bad person who caused a murder, who caused an entire family completely being dismantled and shattered. It's hard because I'm the one at the center of it all. And no one was able to support me. Instead, they took it out on me. Yeah, absolutely. They went so far down the rabbit hole of abuse. I mean, 
it's like once you're in there, there's just no stopping it, is there? It's gone so mm-hmm. far, nobody. And they're also programmed that this is this is okay in some way. You're like this complete scapegoat. I mean, you must have been so dissociated from life in general because how else do you ever get through? What do you think was happening with your mental health? How do you think you were able to get through that? Gosh, I there were a number of tactics. At home, I was completely detached, so dissociated. I just went through the motions. And on the outside world, I was able to get validation. I was doing great academically. I was in piano and dance lessons. And there I could get I could get praise and I was able to shine and I was able to have a taste of what that could look like. I also joined other families. My friends' families kind of took me in and they just made me their own daughter. And that is really how I was able to get out of the seven layers of hell at home. As soon as I walked through that front door, I just knew all bets were off. My entire system would just go haywire. And it's sad because home is supposed to be your safest place. And for me, home was my most dangerous place. And I I think I just stopped feeling all of my feelings. I stuffed everything down and I just stepped one foot in front of the other just to make it through the day. There would be so many times where I would be sleeping underneath my mattress, just hoping and being like one day, one day I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to make it, I'm going to, I'm going to get out of here. And I just had this undying will to live. I have this stubbornness that I get probably from my grandparents, but I just, I couldn't give up. I, I would recite over and over again, never let them win never let them win. And I, I, I made sure that I could never let them win, that I would make it out alive. Well, my beautiful friends, as I said at the start of this podcast, this is quite a story and there is a lot more of this story and you need to hear all of it. So please join me next week for part two. Thank you for being on this journey of healing and community with me. If you listen on Apple, I would love it if you could take a moment to post a review for the podcast. It would mean a lot. Check the show notes for all links recommended in this episode. If you're on Instagram, follow me at my big love project and please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. Thank you for joining me. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique. Your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thanks for joining me. I'll catch you next week.